Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Yeah, okay, good deal. Good deal. Well, as Richard said, uh, my name is Ro Taylor. Glad to be back with y'all. We, um, every now and then you'll see me and my family kind of sneak back in, back there. There they are, back there. Um, sneak back here, um, just kind of randomly. So, um, because we love this church and y'all have been good to us and kind to us and been supportive of us. And it's just kind of a, um, a, a good rest place for us. And so we love coming to visit and worship with y'all. And, um, and I appreciate the invite to get to preach. So, um, good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. Psalm 73, it's printed there in your bulletin. Um, and before we read it, <clears throat> before we read it, um, I heard this story of a, it was a guy who's wanting to start a podcast hosting business, like platform to host podcasts on, if that means anything to you. It doesn't mean much to me, but if it means anything to you. Um, and so he actually got just friend of a friend, kind of a uh, random occurrence, got a meeting with one of the founders of Twitter. Um, huge thing to get this meeting with the guy who, one of the founders of Twitter. And so he, he went to meet with them to kind of give him his pitch. And he realized immediately that his pitch was terrible, that there was no chance of this. And the guy, the Twitter founder, also <laughs> realized that his pitch was terrible. And so about halfway through it, um, he said that the, the, the Twitter founder started coaching him on how to pitch it to the next guy. <laughs> and he said what he took away from that conversation and what he learned um, was that you have to get investors or people to have fear of missing out or FOMO, fear of missing out. You have to create that fear of missing out in their hearts. And we don't really have any trouble with this on our own, right? Like we kind of all have that. I um, talked to some of y'all in the past, of, and there's just been, I don't know if it's fear of missing out, I'm not accusing anyone, but there's been some talk of, man, it'd be really cool to live in Cleveland. Um, and we've thought at the same time, like, man, it'd be pretty cool to live in Greenwood. Um, so there's some fear of, we all have kind of that fear of, of missing out. There's something, you know, what am I missing out on in my current job, or sorry, in another job because of my current job? What am I missing out on in this community or this Sunday school class or this whatever because of something else? We're afraid of missing out on something we don't have. And let's be honest, this is not a new problem, right? This is Genesis 3. Um, Satan sought to create FOMO in Adam and Eve's heart. Like, what are you missing out on by not eating of this tree of knowledge of good and evil? This is not a new thing. And so we're going to look this morning at what Psalm 73 has to say about it. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. 
They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. That things are not always as they seem. Rarely, often, actually, are they as they seem. The recent uh, kind of blockbuster hit Encanto, Disney, Pixar movie Encanto, you kind of get the feeling at the beginning of the movie that um, the, the main character, uh, Mirabelle, that she is kind of a loser and kind of got passed over with the gifts and that she's kind of just kind of dead weight to the family. You get the, the picture about Bruno that, and we don't talk about Bruno, right? But you get the picture about Bruno that he's, you know, maybe a different kind of loser and he's like actually trying to sabotage the family and he just had enough to do with them, it was just fed up with them, and got out. But things aren't always as they seem. And you come to find out that, you know, Mirabelle maybe didn't look like she had a gift, but she actually had the best gift of all. Like, she was the one, the glue that held the family together, that literally held the house together. That Bruno wasn't some guy who just hated, <laughs> hated the family and had to get away from there, but he actually loved the family so much that after they hated him, he stayed for their good and for their well-being. Things are not always as they seem. And so when we look at Psalm 73, um, I think that's what Asaph kind of finds out. Um, Asaph, the writer of this, this psalm, he's telling his story. You know, the first two verses is kind of, he's giving his testimony, he starts telling his story, and then you, it's, if this were a movie, it'd be kind of like that dream bubble where it kind of goes back, like flashes back into time. And so we're kind of getting to see what Asaph was thinking and what he's going through. And so we're going to look at three things as we kind of consider his story. Uh, the first, what he thought, then what he searched, and then finally what he saw. What he thought, searched, and then saw. So he starts off just very honestly. Verse 3, he says, hey, I was envious of the wicked. I had envy in my heart toward the wicked. Now, Dan Allender in his wonderful little book, The Cry of the Soul, that goes, that's talking about the Psalms and the emotions that the Psalms put forward, 
um, defines envy this way. He says, envy is the desire for what another has that we don't have. It is a resentful desire. So what did Asaph resentfully desire? A few things. One, their prosperity. Uh, verse 3, it says that they were incredibly wealthy. They were incredibly wealthy as the world defines wealth. Uh, verse 4, um, their lack of struggles. And part of that's probably, a lot of it is probably insulated by their wealth, their lack of struggles. Verse 5, that they're free from the common things that, that humans have to bear, the burdens that we bear. Uh, verse 12, um, that they can just kind of focus on making more money. Um, they don't have to care about anything else. They were wealthy enough to live comfortably. And not just to, you know, not just to have a car in our modern, but like have a nice car. Not just have a house, but have like top of the line type stuff. They were, like, he was looking at them and they were very wealthy and he was envious. Second thing was their physical health. Uh, verse four, their bodies uh, are healthy and strong. Verse five, they're not plagued by the same kind of human ills. Um, I read something, well, I say read. It's kind of a, that's kind of a lie. Um, I didn't read it. It was a meme. And so I, I memed something. <laughs> But it was, it was a picture of Tom Brady, you know, greatest quarter, NFL quarterback ever, just came out of retirement. Tom Brady when he was in college um, versus Tom Brady now. And the, the, the kind of joke of the meme was um, he wasn't ugly, he was just poor. And that his wealth, like, made him a very attractive man. So anyway, um, their physical health, like those two things, their, their prosperity, their health, that kind of go together, that they're free of cares and worries, as verse 12 says. Um, they can afford to spend time on them themselves when maybe others cannot. And Asaph was envious. Um, last thing, their autonomy, that they could do whatever they wanted with seemingly no consequences. Uh, verse 6, they wear their pride and their arrogance as a necklace. They can just put it out there. Um, boast for all to see. Verse 7, out of their hearts come sin. There's not limitations on them. Verse 8, they say whatever they want. They speak with malice. They threaten oppression. They're bullies, and they get their way, and they force their way. And so Asaph, he's walking through these things that he's looking at uh, that other people are doing, um, envious of their prosperity, their wealth, their health, their autonomy, their power. And he's looking out, and he's seeing all this glory of man and it looks good to him, um, and he wants that. Now, I'll never forget um, a professor of mine in seminary told this story of when, when he was in college. This, this has always stuck with me, but when he was in college and there was a, uh, a leader in a student ministry on campus um, who was, I mean, this was just like the, the most evangelistic person you would know, like, love the Lord, like, you know, knew the Bible back and forth, loved people, was kind, reached out. I mean, everything you could imagine. And, but his dad was not a Christian. And so when it came time for him to graduate college, his dad said to him, hey, I'll, I'll pay off your student loans and I'll buy you a new house if you'll just give up this Christianity garbage. And he did. He looked at those things and says, that looks good. And what Asaph is doing, what he's kind of confessing and telling his story is he's looking at how the wicked act and this, the, the, the good life they have. And he says, hey, that actually looks really good. And that looks really appealing. 
And I think if we're honest, like we get that, right? On some level, we get that. We look and see like, man, I have a feeling that that, or maybe you have knowledge, that that person is doing some uh, unethical or illegal things in their business, but they're profiting off of it. And because of that, they're getting to do all of these other things, and man, that might be pretty easy for me to do. We look at, you know, students, we look at someone else who you just know is cheating in class, and they're getting A's and B's and good grades, and man, that would just be so easy. And like, I want that. Instead, I'm working uh, to, to study and do all of that things. Or maybe it's relational, that you can look at a group and say like, man, I'd really like to be a part of that. And maybe gossiping about someone else is how I get in, and that's the way I need to, to go. C.S. Lewis's entering is a must-read on that, by the way. Um, if we're honest, like we get the struggle that Asaph's has, right? Like those things, the things that Richard prayed about, that the desires of the world wouldn't be snares to us, like they are snares. Um, they are snares, and we get that. It's easy to look at others and cut corners and, and want to do it too. It's easy to think, well, the ends justify the means. And sometimes we can even baptize this and say like, well, you know, if, if I just made all this money, like then I could give more to the church or give more to this ministry or things like that. And we think the ends justify the means, but that's just not biblical. That's not the way of Jesus. Um, I heard someone say this, and you can either be a consequentialist or be an honest person. You can either be a consequentialist or be an honest person. And Asaph is being very honest with his desires and what he's feeling, what he's thinking right now. So that's what he thought. The second thing, what he searched. What he searched. <clears throat> so after looking outwardly at the wicked, he starts to look inwardly at himself, starting in verse 13. And that verse 13 kind of echoes uh, verse 1. He's saying like, hey, I've kept my heart clean, washed my hands in innocence. Um, but instead, what he's saying is like, I've done these things, but yet I've been punished. Yet I've been punished and they've succeeded. And he's saying, you know, if I had spoken with arrogance and malice and oppression like the wicked in verse 8, um, if I had threatened uh, others and um, been a bully, um, if I had insulted and belittled um, God, like the wicked did in verse 11, he says, well, what would I have been doing then? I would have been betraying God's children. I would have been speaking against my own brothers and sisters in Christ. I would have been tearing apart the unity that Jesus longs for. And so he knew he couldn't do that. And so really, like these verses, it's kind of an opportunity for us to just sit in like this internal struggle, this crisis, really crisis of faith that he's got going on right now. If Psalm 73 were, um, again, were a, or a movie or a cartoon, this is the moment where you'd see the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other kind of both talking uh, in his ear, trying to get him to do something. Um, that fork in the road moment that Luke read earlier of Psalm 1. Are we going to walk in the way of the wicked or walk in the way of the unrighteous? Or walk in the way of the wicked or walk in the way of the righteous? You know, we've been there, right? <laughs> we've had those opportunities. We've had that, that kind of crisis uh, moment. Um, we've had those decisions before. Um, and it's helpful to actually, like, think about that and search that out. Um, a guy named Russell Moore said, and he wrote a book called many years ago, Tempted and Tried, and he said in that book that one thing that he likes to do, I've, I've never done this. Um, maybe I should. I don't know. I've never done it. 
But when he does premarital counseling with people, he asks them to describe a scenario when you can see yourself cheating on your spouse. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe not do that, but maybe, I don't know, maybe do it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have an internal struggle for me. Uh, but it's helpful to think about that maybe with, uh, with other things. You know, what is it, what might that look like for us? What, that, what might that look like um, knowing and confessing and searching our hearts of like, hey, gossip is a struggle for me. And I kind of feel in myself a desire to, to put others down so I can lift myself up. What might it look like to, to guard our heart literally against that? And kind of searching our heart and knowing um, what that may be. Or what if we know ourselves and we know that, hey, after a long day in, in the office, in the classroom, and wherever, that I have a, a temptation to, to watch those shows, to go to those websites, to, to have a couple of extra drinks, to um, do fill in the blank. But knowing ourselves, like, hey, what would that look like so that I can know it and I can fight it <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit? We all have internal struggles. Asaph is being very honest with his own and his desire for, for worldly gain and prosperity, and health, and power. The way of the wicked is enticing because it seems easy. It seems comfortable, um, while the way of Jesus, on the other hand, looks, looks hard, right? Looks hard, looks difficult, and really grueling. You know, how do we guard our hearts? Now, this is, I don't, I'm not giving you an answer. I'm just, this is a, a question we need to ask ourselves. How do we guard our hearts so that we can say along with Asaph in verse 2, as for me, my, foot, my feet almost slipped instead of did. How, how can we search our hearts in the power of the Spirit to guard against that? So first, what he thought, then what he searched, and lastly, what he saw. What he saw, um, crisis of faith, internal struggle, all these things going on, troubled, confused, and in his searching, he went to a great place. <laughs> he went to church. He went to the temple. In verse 17, uh, verse 16 and 17, I'll read them again. It says, but when I thought how to understood this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. <laughs> it seemed like a lot of trouble to kind of figure out what was going on in my heart until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Then I understood. And so you got to think back kind of historically. Back then, you know, if he's going to the sanctuary, if he's going to the temple, what does that mean? You know, what would you see? And what you'd see is sacrifice. You would walk into the temple and you'd see people worshiping. You'd hear the sounds of people singing praises to God or offering up their laments to God. You'd see smoke rising in the air and you would smell. You'd smell that smoke and you'd smell uh, the burning flesh of an animal sacrifice. The sacrifice taking away your sins in the Old Testament sacrificial system. That's why Asaph can go in, can say, hey, it wasn't until I went into the sanctuary that I understood. What did he understand? He understood that living that life, that living a life just giving yourself to whatever you want in our sin, like that has to be paid for. And he walked in and he saw that being paid for. And at that moment, he said, I understand. I understand. 
because those things require a sacrifice, living how I want to live, doing what, what will be easiest for you and what will seemingly make you happy, like that's tainted with sin, and sin has to be paid for. And what made Asaph joyful, what made him happy, what made him understand, and the joy that came from that was seeing God's grace and paying for him. You know, he didn't have to pay the price for what he says about himself in verses 21 and 22, that he was a, a bitter, senseless, ignorant, brute beast against God. And because of that grace, because of that sacrifice, his life wouldn't be taken for his sin. But Jesus was instead. Jesus is the ultimate perfect sacrifice so that verses 23 and 24 can be said about you and me. Um, that we can say that, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Asaph makes this realization as, as he's kind of snapped back to reality and the life of Christ, um, where the wicked, in verse 9, they claim the goodness of heaven and earth. They claim that for their own, but the psalmist Asaph says in verse 25, says, hey, nothing in this earth compares. Nothing in this earth compares to the glory of God and what He has done for us. It says His heart will stop beating, His flesh will turn to dust, but God is His rock and His portion forever. Asaph is, is giving his testimony, his story of how he came to see that there's actually nothing better out there than Jesus, that the life Jesus offers is infinitely better than a comfortable couch and a weighted blanket and Netflix. <laughs> This makes sense to him because he saw the sacrifice. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the punishment he deserved and the price that Jesus paid. You know, maybe you're here and, and you haven't seen that yet. And maybe it's kind of like, man, those things are really enticing. And if you say those things aren't enticing, then I, there's still some sin and deception in our own hearts about our, where we are, I think. Um, but maybe we've fallen pray to kind of the American dream version of Christianity. Um, and if that's the case, then that, you know, <laughs> comfortable couch, blanket, Netflix, decent job, um, seems like it will give a pretty good life. But what Asaph is saying, what Jesus says, is that can't pay for your sins. It can't pay for your sins. It can't give you fellowship with God. It can't bring you into his family, and it won't outlive you either. Um, the great children's book, <clears throat> I think that if I were going to name it an alternative, like a, the, 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 the title that it maybe it could have been named is The, uh, the Anxious Helicopter Parent, <laughs> um, in a, looking at it in human eyes, but from a godly, redemptive way, it's called The Runaway Bunny. And in the runaway bunny, you see this little child bunny, and he just like stands up and says to his mom one day, he's like, hey, mom, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to run away. And she says, well, you know, if you run away, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come find you because you're my little bunny. And he says, well, if you come find me, then I'm going to turn into, um, I think first he says, I'm going to turn into a fish um, and go swim away from you. And she says, well, if, if you turn into a fish, then I'm going to become a fisherman and I'm going to catch you. He says, well, if you turn into a, a fisherman and come catch me, then I'm going to turn into a bird, and I'm going to fly high up into the, in the mountains. She said, if you do that, I'm going to become a rock climber, and I'm going to come catch you. 
And then he goes on and on and on. He says thing after thing after thing. And, and finally, when he says, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm just going to become a little boy and I'm just going to run away. And he said, well, if, if you become a little boy, then I'm going to become your mom and I'm going to scoop you up and catch you. And he says, the little bunny says, well, if, if you're going to do that, then I might as well just stay here. Um, but we get that, right? And I think that's a, a beautiful picture of what Asaph is describing, of, hey, God, I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do. And if you come and try and find me, I'm going to become a fish, a bird, a flower, a whatever. And I'm going to go do whatever I want to do and go do what I see other people doing and brings them happiness and comfort. And God says, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you because you're my son. You're my daughter whom I love. And I'm not just going to pursue you out of love. I'm actually going to become that sacrifice that Asaph saw and smelled. And I'm going to do that for you because I love you, because you're mine, and because that trumps anything else that's out there and gives you life in ways that nothing else can give. Amen. Let's pray that we believe that. Lord, we thank you for uh, your goodness and grace to us. We thank you that the life that you alone can give can satisfy us fully and completely. And we confess that the, the, the fleeting satisfaction of worldly things is enticing and is even desirable. But Lord, I pray that you would make it so in our hearts that we would trust you. We would look to you in all things. We would trust that you're actually good and you have good things and want good things for us, greater than anything we can see around us. Lord, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.